0: I'm J-Mac. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Basecode Podcast. All right, all right.
1: Back for the last episode.
0: Last episode, here we are. So hopefully everyone's enjoyed these. I like this mini series format just because it allows us to kind of burn through a set of topics and it's something we can always revisit later. Yeah. And if not, it allows us to take a little break, go learn some more things, do some more things in the community and come back and maybe talk about something entirely new or expand upon things based on, you know, feedback we got from listeners. So yeah.
1: Yeah, I like that
0: approach. So let us know how we're doing. And with that, let's, uh, let's just jump right in.
1: Cool. So should we start off talking about our workflows, how we test?
0: Yeah, I think let's, you know, we covered a lot of the testing stuff. And there's tons of great resources out there to kind of go and definitely get much, much deeper on testing. So yeah, I think it'd be great to Finish up with maybe more of the day to day aspect of how you like to focus on tests, how tests help you as a developer, how they help the code base over time, like all those kind of things.
1: Sure. So, one thing that would be cool to discuss, because this is something that I still struggle with, is naming tests. Ooh. I kind of flip flop between two different approaches, I've adopted different approaches for different projects. I like the two different styles I've settled on. I don't know which one I prefer. So to quickly sort of explain them, one of them is where the test is named to mirror the directory structure of your project. So if you're testing the user's controller, it might be in HTTP slash user's controller. I'll have a test that's in test slash HTTP slash user's controller test. Definitely. I like this approach because I can easily map between the implementation and the test really quickly. And also you don't have to think about where a test is. You kind of know where it belongs. It's a naming convention. And then the other approach is to write your test files as more of the name of the feature. So you might have a test that's testing that users can log in. So you might just create a test that's the user can log in test that's not specifically tied to which controller it might hit or whatever it might be. Sure. The reason I like that approach is because you don't have to think about the implementation when you start writing the test. So from a TDD point of view, I like that I'm going, okay, I'm just testing this. I want to hit this particular endpoint, and then it defines what the controller will end up being.
0: I definitely understand both, but I will be a bit opinionated and say that the winner for me is always the first one. So I always have my tests mirror the implementation. And I can already hear the response to that, (laughs) which is the age old response when anything honestly in testing is like coupling, right? Yeah. It all really comes back to coupling. Like an integration test gives you more flexibility because it's not coupled to an implementation, but it might take a little more setup, right? So same thing here. Like if you name your tests after the implementation, well, now if you go call your user's controller, the account controller, you know, now you gotta go rename your test. Yeah. So it's less setup because it's more obvious. It's more contextually rich, but it's tightly coupled. So less flexibility when the code changes. Yeah. So kind of like another analogy to that is a lot of the times when like developers reach for like, well, what if you want to swap your database layer and you want to swap from MySQL to Postgres? Now, sure, this is all possible, right? But like how often do we actually change things at that high of a level? So all that is to kind of say through analogies is just, I like the first one because it's it's simple. I'm a YAGNI kind of person. Yep. I'm not going to change this implementation that often. And if I do, it's not that painful to go and rename one test file. Honestly, if your IDEs are powerful enough, they're gonna do all that for you anyway. So to me, it's a lot harder to continually think of and test things through the perspective of features, not only initially, but then also to think, oh my gosh, where did I categorize the test for resetting a password? Is that part of login? Is that a reset password test? The reset password doesn't exist. There's a password test. Maybe it's in there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I think there's pros and cons to both approaches. And like I said, I've done both and I like both. Sure. When you're mirroring the directory structure with the HTTP controller, sometimes I find those tests can get a little bit big. But if you've got like all seven resource methods on there, you've got to test them all in that one file. Sure. But it's not that big of a deal. Yeah,
0: that's an interesting point though, and maybe leads us somewhere else. If your test file is huge, this is probably an indication of a different problem. It's either an indication of like, the method in which you're testing is maybe cumbersome, so obviously your test is big. Or maybe the thing you're testing is too big. So, you know, if you've got a resourceful controller with all actions, does it make sense to break that controller up? I normally don't think of length of test to be an issue, personally. But obviously there's a critical mass, like if... yeah. If to test a, a five-line method is, you know, a hundred lines of test code, again, and there's no hard rules, but yeah. I hear what you're saying. And I would look at that as an opportunity to potentially refactor tests, the testing strategy that is, or to refactor the code to split it up to be something else that can now be tested as, separately.
1: Yeah. So inside a, a controller test, then, would you name your individual tests would they map to the method names in any sort of a way? Like if you've got a create method on a resourceful controller, would you incorporate that in your test name so you can easily find all the tests that are hitting the create method?
0: Absolutely. I would say, you know, create displays view. Okay. Create throws 403 or create returns 403 for unauthenticated user or something like that.
1: So they're all prefixed with that, yeah.
0: Yeah, something like that. And if it's a single responsibility, then I'll go the old spec way where I'll do like it throws a 403 or it displays a view okay but often i'll I'll use the method name as the prefix and i'm definitely a, a snake caser yeah i just like the readability of that i mean if you write again other languages like rspec for example they're a little more functional so you can name your tests with a string so you don't have to use underscores. Yeah. You can actually use spaces and make it a sentence, which is really nice. And I, I know there's ways to do that with PHP unit annotations, but you know, it's just not as clean. So I feel like snake is not awesome, but it's, it's closer to that sentence readability than camel case.
1: Yeah. You just got to make sure that you disable your linting of those particular things in that directory because otherwise you'll just have linting errors everywhere. <laughs>
0: Ooh, good call. Yeah. And and that's, a, that's another good point as far as like testing workflows, like, you know, linters, um, parsers, formatters of your code, these can all be parts of your test suite, in my opinion. Yeah, I would consider a syntax, not syntax, but a code style violation, I would, I would consider that something that should potentially break the build or halt yeah. a PR.
1: Especially like static analysis tools as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, those are super cool. And things I'm getting into with shift, like the fixer and stuff or the linter. Yeah, I think those are all important and and possibly should be incorporated into your, your test workflow or your build process.
1: Yeah, for sure. The other thing I wanted to say just on naming real quick is from a TDD point of view, when you're literally starting with no implementation whatsoever, naming your tests to mirror the implementation becomes harder, but it's not that much of a leap to go, okay, I know I'm going to need a user's controller for the test I'm about to write.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, e- even with TDD, I think it's pretty rare as a developer not to have an idea of the path that you're going to go down.
1: Yeah. Like, I have a pretty good idea of the database table I'm going to create and the models I'm going to create, even though I let TDD drive it. There has been a few times when I've written my test that I'm like, actually, no, I could name this model something completely different that actually sounds nicer. Sure. And if you've already written your test file at that name, rename it, not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: It kind of goes back to what I said. You know, your IDE is probably going to be able to to do that with one of its refactor tools. And if not, like search and replace, it's almost 2020. Yeah. Come on.
1: Yep. <laughs> All right. So you've got the name of your test. I like to use scaffolding tools to build up my test with a you know outline of the framework of it. Obviously, you need a little bit of boilerplate. IDEs, you can use snippets. Something like Laravel has its little generator commands like make test.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Good call.
1: I tend to use the generators, but snippets obviously work just as well.
0: Sure. So you get like a skeleton for your test and then you start filling in the blanks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It'll set up the class. It'll come with one example test so that you don't have to start writing that. And for speed, it's good to have a snippet in your IDE for the test method, especially if you're using annotations to define what a test is. Mm -hmm. Just for pure speed and ergonomics, it's nice to have snippets for these things because you're going to be creating a lot of tests over and over again. Yeah, I like to split my IDE into two screens. So I'll have my test on one side and then I'll have my implementation on the other side. Oh, yeah. And then I start writing my test. And then one thing I think is really important and has improved my testing a lot is rather than alt tabbing or command tabbing out to my terminal to run my tests there, I like to run my tests from within my IDE with a keyboard shortcut. And I have it set up so that I can run the test that my cursor is currently inside on its own. So when I'm doing TDD, I can just with one keystroke fire the test, quickly change something, fire the test. And if I switch to my implementation and run that same keystroke, it knows, oh, the last test you ran was this. I'll run that one again.
0: That one's super clean, and I. I think I kind of miss that from working in other editors, but I want to go back a second and hit a few of those points real quick. So totally with you on the split screen of like test and implementation and whether it's left or right, doesn't matter. I personally like the test on the left and the implementation on the right, but that's just what I've gotten used to. So I just like the split screen. doesn't matter if I'm TDD or testing existing code, it helps in both capacities. Yeah. So totally with you there. I'm not as with you on having the editor do everything. And so I think though, if I'm not mistaken, you're a Vim user. I sure am. Which is awesome. But I want to caveat that because you're a Vim user, in a way, you're already in the terminal. This is true. So running terminal commands from Vim is not as much of a stretch as running terminal things from like PHP storm, for example. True. It's all still possible.
1: Yeah, I know for like Sublime Text, I think Adam and maybe David Hempel created a plugin. Oh yeah, yeah. That lets you, it'll open it in a terminal, but it's a keyboard shortcut and it says you're in this particular test file in this particular test method. And it automatically opens a terminal and runs just that test. And then I don't know if it closes it afterwards or not. I'm not sure, but. Yeah. The ability to run individual tests I think is really important. You can do that on the command line using like filters and stuff to say run this particular test but it's quite clumsy to have to specify what the filter is for it.
0: Yeah I mean when you're running hardcore tests either against your whole test suite or yeah practicing TDD it's very nice to be able to focus a single set of tests or to quickly rerun just the test that failed once you've made some changes. So like all these tools are super awesome. So again, I'm not necessarily knocking the tools. Yeah. I'm just saying as like a general workflow, I actually tend to not use my IDE, even though I'm using normally like something from JetBrains. So it's pretty powerful, whether it's PHP Storm or like IntelliJ or whatever it is. Yep. It can do all these things. I kind of just don't have it do it for the same reasons I don't do my Git commands through there. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. For me, I'm old school and I like that separation. Yeah. Plus, I'm on like a 27-inch retina display, so it's not a big deal to have them side-by-side anyways, so. Yeah. But I'm with you. Anything that helps you test, I'm an advocate, so I'm with you.
1: Cool. All right. So, we've got our tests, we've written them, we know how to run them, they're making our life better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I definitely think we covered kind of our general workflow or the general workflow you can use to write tests yourself. Let's go beyond just the developer writing tests. Let's start talking about how tests can help the team or the code base. How are we using these tests now that we have them to like better the team or to better the code base?
1: Yeah, right. Well, I mean, the first thing, and it might be obvious, but make sure you're actually committing your tests to your repo. Of course. They form part of your application. So don't just leave them on your computer and not commit them.
0: So yeah, share the tests.
1: Share the tests. yep. Yep. You want to get everyone obviously on board with writing them, ideally following the same sort of conventions. And then ideally they would actually form part of whatever Git tool you're using as part of like a CI process, right? So when you push code up to GitHub or whatever it might be, it actually runs the tests automatically for you as part of that pull request or merge request. And it saves some time for the team then because they don't start reviewing your code that actually doesn't pass the tests, right?
0: So let's maybe talk about that for a second, like okay. reviewing the code um, and, and come back to the CI bit because I, I want to touch on that too. But like, let's say that you're a team that tests or you write a bunch of tests and you're working with another developer and maybe maybe they're not writing tests and you get a PR from them as part of the code review. Yep. And you don't see any tests associated with the code. I don't know, what what do you do there? What would you do?
1: It depends on like the culture of where you're working. If it's not policy to do tests, all you can really do is gently prod them and say, hey, it would be cool if you test this. And if they don't know how to, maybe you guide them and help them, give them an example of how to write a test. But ideally, you probably want it to be company policy, right? Yeah. Some companies take it to extremes where you've got your code coverage percentages that test how much of the actual implementation code has a test that hits it. Sure and every merge request you write must either increase or maintain the coverage percentage. Sometimes that gets a little bit too splitting hairs and and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, you want a culture of testing, right?
0: Yeah, sure. I guess the assumption there was that you don't necessarily have the culture of testing, but you want to write tests and you are writing tests, but how do you handle the situation when the others around you aren't buying in? I, I think just to answer it myself, I don't think you can force that in any regard. And honestly, even with a testing policy, like you might You might just have sometimes some things, again, aren't tested and that's all up for discussion. But, absolutely, you know, I would just try to continue to lead by example, like don't let that deter you, you know, but also don't make it like a standoffish thing where it's like, well, I'm not merging this, you know, because then those people are just going to go around you and then you're going to get left out of the loop. So it's better to be involved and aware than it is to kind of just be like blissfully ignorant. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I guess said another way though, it'd be nice during the code review process, whether it's a formalized team thing or not, if you are writing tests, definitely take the opportunity to encourage doing so or demonstrate in a positive way, maybe holes in the code or bugs that you can visually see in the code and how a test might have helped them get around that.
1: Yeah. Like it can be as simple as just saying, hey, it would be cool if we had a test here let me know if you want a hand with it. Yeah, exactly. And just open up that channel for communication and don't make them feel bad for not writing a test. Just say it would be good to have one.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to the uh, the CI thing then. So, okay, so we have tests. The tests are being added to the project. Now you're, again, armed with these tests. Uh, what other kind of benefits can we get use out of them?
1: Yeah, right. I think one of the most important things is to make sure that your tests are running before you do any sort of deploys, right? you might write some tests that pass locally for your thing. Someone else merges in some things and their tests pass in their merge request. But then when everything gets merged together into master or whatever branch you're using, there could actually be something that fails, right? So you want to make sure that your tests run at a minimum before you deploy. Sure. I think it's nice to have tests that run when you create the PR as well as part of that. Maybe just the unit test, depending on how heavy your test suite is.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I like them to happen there as well but it kind of depends on how quickly they run.
1: Your browser tests, maybe not. Sometimes they can be really slow.
0: Exactly, yeah. I don't want to slow down the PR process. I want the tests to happen. So again, whatever they are, without getting into the specifics, if your tests take five minutes to run, that's probably going to slow down your PR process. If they take 30 seconds to run, then yeah, sure. I mean, by the time you hand off your PR for code review, it's going to be fine, but yeah. Uh, maybe five minutes is even okay, but 25 minutes, there's definitely an upper cutoff. So if that's happening, like, yeah, maybe determine which ones can or cannot run during a PR. Yeah. And then fall back to like, okay, when we make a build or something that's going to go to production, like there's some baked in process that runs all of the tests, all of them, and will halt that deploy if any of them fail.
1: Yeah. And like you mentioned about how they can slow down the PR process, but You know, as long as they're not taking too long, they can also improve the PR process because the tests can run before someone actually reviews the code. And if there are any problems, you're not wasting that person's time because then they're going to have to come back and re-review it after you've pushed changes to it. Totally agree. So if you can automate your unit tests, automate like some linting, maybe static analysis, all these things that happen before the peer review happens, then you're not wasting their time.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I guess the flip side of that just kind of being devil's advocate, and I'm not saying I totally buy into this myself, but just to kind of talk about the other side, if you're waiting to send your pull request for code review because your test takes seven minutes to run or whatever. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, as a developer, what are you gonna do during those seven minutes? Like you're not gonna go task switch because now you've got the whole headache of having to task switch back. Yeah. So either that PR is gonna sit forever, you got other devs depending on that code. Or you're going to do nothing for seven minutes, then several more minutes while it gets code reviewed. So again, I want that code review process to be real snappy, personally. Yeah. I know I wanted that not only for myself, but when I was a team lead, like I wanted that for the developers and, and tried to make sure that was there. But again, it, it just depends on the team and how noisy it is, but also how passive and, and time-consuming it can be as well. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyways, yeah, definitely the build, like we said. And just to kind of start wrapping it up, All these things might not necessarily be something your team is doing, but if you're interested in tests, you're elevating your development process, your development workflow, your development life cycle. And what's really nice about tests and probably something we haven't talked about and kind of the point of this episode is now that you've spent the time and the investment in the tests, it's not just about writing quality code per se or making sure it's without bugs. Now... You're also doing these other things. You've heard us talk about code review. Well, maybe you can start doing code review now, right? Because you have faster process. You have helpful checks and balances in there to be able to help you determine, is this good code or not? And now you can really focus because you know it runs based on the test. Now you can really focus on code quality and go back to some of those base code practices or implement some of your own practices, right?
1: Yep. I think another benefit of it as well is when updates come out for your frameworks or whatever dependencies you're using, your test suite can run against those and make sure that nothing that's come out with that has broken. And then this leads to more like continuous deployment, right, where you might actually have automated systems that update your dependencies as they're released, automatically run your test suite against them and potentially even deploy at least to like a staging environment. Yeah so this helps with security because if a patch comes out to fix a problem it automatically gets built tested and deployed straight away almost
0: yeah and i think those things are super cool and i think i probably mentioned it in the first episode in this mini series kind of the motivation behind confident laravel was not necessarily just to educate on testing but also kind of a self interest because it does go hand in hand testing that is with shift as a service as an upgrade service yeah so like If I can help people not only upgrade their application, but now also arm their application with these test suites so they can feel even more confident, not only in their code, but in the upgrade process, it's an all-around win. It's like a win-win, win-win-win. Absolutely. (laughs) So again, going back to CI, continuous integration, CD, continuous deployment. All this might sound a little crazy or like a lot of work, but there's so many services out there. I know GitHub Actions now allows that, you know, and they're rolling that out. I know Bitbucket and GitLab have had pipelines for a long time. Yeah. Travis CI, Circle CI, Laravel Community, Chipper CI. Very easy to set up with like YAML files.
1: Yeah. And just one thing on that, frameworks like Laravel let you run tests locally using SQLite in memory for absolute speed. One thing I would recommend is if you are doing that, make sure that when you run your automated tests in CI that you're trying to be closer to production. So spin up a MySQL server if you're using MySQL in production, Because there are differences between SQLite and MySQL. And if every single test you ever run is SQLite, and then in production, it's MySQL, you're probably going to have a problem.
0: That's absolutely true. I think that's a great point. Definitely in these CI environments, test as close to production environment as possible, whereas locally, you might be able to cut some corners for that speed, that immediate feedback.
1: Yeah. One of the cool things is if you're using something like Docker, as part of your build process, you're actually creating this container that will be run in production. So if you can run your tests against that, you're literally testing the exact thing you're going to deploy, like the build artifact. And that to me is the ultimate, but it requires a lot of architectural setup and isn't always possible.
0: Cool. Well, I think that's probably a wrap for this episode and this testing mini series. So again, hope you all enjoyed. Yeah. Let us know any ideas you might have for the next mini series topic on Twitter or email.
1: Yeah, please do. So you're gone dark? I'm Jess Archer Codes.
0: Yeah, cool. So other than that, we'll probably take a little bit of time off. Obviously, the holidays coming up here, so may wait until the new year, 2020.
1: Awesome. And if there's one takeaway for this entire thing, just start testing, just test anything and you'll get a feel for it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just write tests. I mean, it goes back to JB Rainsberger It's kind of where I heard that first and I'm a big believer in it. I don't get caught up probably as you can tell in the different types of tests and the styles of tests and the strategies for testing. Like it's okay. You know, just having tests is almost always better than no tests.
1: Yep. Cool. All right. All
0: right, we'll see you in 2020.
1: Yeah, see ya. Show notes for this episode can be found at basecodefieldguide.com slash 16.